This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. If you want to support this podcast and support what we're doing, get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes, become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Thanks to everyone at Decoding TV who makes this show possible. What is up, my soul sister? I'm sorry, I mean, no disrespect to you or your community. I'm Jeff, God, you social media director. You are not easy to get a hold of, okay? Now, I'm sorry about the crutches. Tripped on the red carpet at Paley Fest. This is for you. For me. When you get back to your room, you will find a V-pad, V-pod, V-pods, and Vodify speakers, and a V-braider personal massager, which is technically what it is, but you can use it any way you want, yes, queen. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a decoding TV podcast. Each week, This Week in Streaming, will cover a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming. We'll tell you if it's worth watching, it, and if it is, at the end of the season, we review, spoil, and discuss the entire season of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing the first three episodes of Gen V, a spinoff on Prime Video that takes place in the universe of The Boys. We'll be sharing our overall thoughts and diving into a spoilery, detailed recap. Uh, Joining me today for our conversation about Gen V, she is a writer, filmmaker, and YouTuber whose videos about science fiction and gender have reached millions of people. You may know her as Jessie Gender on YouTube. I'm so thrilled she's joining us for our conversation about Gen V here today on Decoding TV. Jesse Earl, welcome to Decoding TV. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the boys. I just want to say, v, I should say, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm already screwing it up. <laughs> yeah, you're already botching this. I, uh, I you know, Jesse first um, appeared on my radar when I watched a, I want to say, thirty to forty minute long YouTube video she made about the lore in the halo video games um oh god just like yeah. you had you had read every single halo book and played every single game and you described the rather wild backstory of what actually goes on in Halo. like people if you told people what actually goes on in the halo video games i think they would think that you were uh you know a lunatic oh. of some kind but oh it gets uh, out there there's i forgot that i did that video that one took a while <laughs> i think i end up like getting drunk on the floor at one point in that video <laughs> mm-hmm. i think that's right i think that's right anyway extraordinary video and uh all of jesse's videos are really uh worthwhile so i do recommend you check out uh her youtube channel if you haven't before uh but anyway uh today on decoding tv we're talking about the first three episodes of gen v i do want to point out that uh next week on Decoding TV, we'll be finishing our conversation about Ahsoka Season 1, finishing our conversation about The Continental, and then diving into Loki Season 2, which I'm very excited about. So you can look forward to that as a Decoding TV subscriber. So before we get into today's conversation about Gen V, we'll talk a little bit about our thoughts on The Boys as a TV show, uh, and then we'll talk about our overall thoughts on these first three episodes, and then we're going to get to the recap. So, uh, Jesse, you know, I'm always talking with folks out there i'm always putting myself out there and and seeing like <laughs> hitting who's, up the um, youth seeing what they're saying hitting, hitting, <laughs> up the, hitting up the youths you know and, and always like i'm always looking for potential collaborators and uh you and i had a conversation uh i want to say six months ago uh you know i was just learning about like what's going on in your life and whether mm-hmm. you'd uh, want to be a uh, potential guest co-host on Decoding TV at some point, and you mentioned that you were really a big fan of The Boys, mm-hmm. uh, the TV show on Prime Video. I remembered that fact, and uh, <laughs> so then, you, you know, many months later, when Gen V is premiering, I reached out and said, "Hey, do you want to talk about this?" Uh, and you were really excited to do that to do so. So, uh, let's start with your feelings on The Boys, the TV show. I mean, uh, what was it about that show that that so compels you? Um, why do you find it interesting and or great? Yeah, I I really adore the the boy series mostly because I find it to be 
kind of going against what people would initially think it would be, especially even if you're a fan of the comics. If you read the comics, they're all just very like early 2000s, 90s edgelord kind of humor, very cynical, very like, oh, but what if Superman murdered people? And I think the show does a really great job of taking that like core concept and making and actually using it to have like really salient political conversations that are a lot deeper than I think people think and a lot more targeted that people then people think, you know, I, I have a lot of conversation with people saying that, you know, it's just like South Park, but with superheroes. And I actually think that South Park has a very kind of like libertarian, we'll go after everybody sort of vibe to it. Whereas the boys feels very targeted in its critique of things like capitalism, of like neoliberal establishment politics. Um, and yet always does so in a very entertaining way. Like the characters are just fun. I am always here for my boy, Carl Urban and Jack Quaid, just getting to be, do their best. Like the show just, I think just takes something that could have been a very shallow, very uh, like frivolous sort of experience and actually making it a really hard hitting uh, sort of project in a way that I think a lot of people would not expect. I mean, tackles like policing in black communities and things like that, like many other shows wouldn't even discuss with any depth. So I think it really does like a really, a really great job. So I enjoy the show as well. My favorite thing about the show is, you know, 90 to 95% of the messages we get about superheroes are (laughs) if superheroes existed, it would be wonderful. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have these, uh, super powerful creatures helping to solve our problems here on Earth. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? And <laughs> the boys asked the question, what if, no, what if that was not actually what would happen? What What if um, just being imbued with, just merely being imbued with powers doesn't actually make you good? What if that was mm-hmm. actually the case, right? Uh, and what if there was a really shadowy bureaucratic institution that had to that was dedicated to upholding the illusion of that goodness at all costs right like what what would what would life under that be like um and i like that it tackles that i also like that it is um extremely uh graphic in terms of its violence and sex (laughs) because because there's just very few shows and and films that that do that and certainly very few shows and films uh, that have superheroes in them. You know, mm-hmm. the Marvel Universe is famously very, very chaste. Yes. Right? Very, very, very little yeah. romance or kissing or any kind of... Uh, I remember... I'm, I'm old enough to remember when The Eternals was groundbreaking because uh, there was a sex <laughs> scene in that, that movie that lasted about three seconds. Yeah, you know, they, like... they, they had the sex. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, the boys... Uh, very much doesn't shy away from that. Now, potentially to its detriment, sometimes it feels a little bit try hard in that arena, mm-hmm. but no one else is doing it. So it's like if there was like many shows that were really graphic in their depiction of violence and sex, then it's like, oh, well, the fact that the boys is like, we got to show you all the terrible stuff would feel a little bit jarring. But no one else is doing it, really. So yeah. it's like we need we need the boys on that wall, basically, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, yeah, no, I agree. I think like especially in the United States, we're so dang puritanical about mm-hmm. everything Yeah, um, that it's just like it's nice to actually see something like, oh, be very open about sex and like talk about sex in a really like – I, I would hesitate to say healthy because I don't necessarily know if the sex this show, <laughs> show shows is healthy, but in a way that's like very open 
about that that I think is really helpful. Or, or I, even if you don't or don't show it as healthy, it is depicted as unhealthy. Ex- you know? and that, exactly. And that, is, uh, that also has some value to it. Exactly. Right? So, like, yeah. and, and like being con- – because, yeah, there's many shows that will show unhealthy sexual uh, uh, acts or like uh, uh, power dynamics that doesn't portray it as unhealthy in many shows. So <laughs> I'm glad The Boys at least has its uh, head on straight in that, that regard. And the other thing, too, is like you mentioned, too, about like it being superheroes – like uh, it, like taking that and and using it and and uh, I, I think the the boys does a good job of doing what superheroes are supposed to do, but in a way that sort of fits within its sort of political statements, which is you know superheroes are supposed to be grand versions of uh, like different systems and ideas we have today. Like Captain America is like an idealized version of American like like idealism um you know tony stark is supposed to be like a hyper uh capitalist man and sort of an ideal version of that um whereas the boys like showcase the same thing but it's sort of like what if you know these sort of you know strong man politics get played out with a guy who is quite literally a very strong man so it's it's i think it's a really cool way to use superheroes in a in a different way uh on that note, one, one last thing about the boys, and then, and then we can get maybe two last things about the boys, and then we can get to Gen Z. But <laughs> sure. I, I do think that uh, the character of Homelander is mm. really incredible. Like it, it's just a really incredible character, a really incredible portrayal. Anthony Starr, I think, is the name of the actor, yep. right? Yep. And uh, just really a tragic figure, you know, who mm-hmm. uh, is one of the most powerful beings on the planet, and yet. Um, feels unable to obtain that which he most wants in life, you know, yeah. uh, across a variety of dimensions. And so uh, that is a wonderful portrayal. You know, I'm not going to spoil it, but the very final season, uh, the very final moments of the last season uh, became a meme yeah. on on Twitter and TikTok because it's a really haunting moment and it's a really mm-hmm. haunting moment in television. I'm not going to say what it is, but if you've seen it on online, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. And, uh, I, I think only something that really is me, you know, I, I have this feeling that if something becomes a meme, there's like some kind of inherent cultural value to it. Like, yeah, it, it, and, it's speaking to something that we're all feeling or like exactly. captures, captures like a it very captures human something. experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I feel like that's very true of the boys. Um, I will say I am bothered a little bit, Jesse, by, Kind of how unrealistic a lot of the boys feels to me, you know, which is going to be come into play as we talk about Gen V more, just specifically about the fact that um, there are people who keep track of their family members uh, <laughs> with more closeness and uh, attention than the people in Vought seem to be keeping track of the seven, right? Like oh, yeah. using, using the Find My app. And it's just like, basically a lot of the boys revolves around characters going AWOL and like doing things that they're not supposed to be doing and, and scheming with each other and stuff like that. And it's like, I just can't believe that in a world where Vought exists and the seven exists, that those people's movements and interactions would not be tracked constantly. Uh, and, you know, they're attempts to scheme against everyone else would be flummoxed and so on, but then there would be no show, but like, mm-hmm. you know, but, but, but it always bothered me like um, how unrealistic that component of it seemed, because there's just a lot of times these characters spend going off and having their own adventures. And I'm like, wow, you guys sure have a lot of free time um, yeah. given that you're the seven. <laughs> Uh, like, should be so, saving people or doing things yeah, like what's or doing sk- literally anything, you know? Yeah. That, yeah so, that always bothered me, and and uh, I think that's a good lead into Gen V, which is mm-hmm. that 
the fact that the stakes are so much lower in Gen V mm-hmm. really allowed me to connect with these characters more. Because in The Boys, I'm thinking to myself, these are literally some of the most famous people on the planet. They're walking around and going to like, you know, freaking in and out Burger and no one gives a <laughs> shit. It's like, no, like we just saw Taylor Swift try mm-hmm. to go to a wedding dinner and like <laughs> there was like a thousand people showed up just to catch, catch a glimpse of her. Like, yeah. That this that is not a realistic depiction of what it's like to be mega famous, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And in Gen V, you don't need to deal with any of that. Like these are people in college, basically. Yeah. And so I actually really loved the first three episodes of Gen V. I thought the smaller stakes actually made me connect more to the characters. These aren't like world-ending stakes we're dealing with every episode. This is just how are these characters going to survive going to God U, which is short for Godolkin University, where they train up these supers. Um, but Jesse Earl, let's talk about your overall thoughts on Gen V. What did you think? I definitely agree with you. I really, really liked this show. Uh, like right from the pilot episode, I thought it set up its characters in a really interesting way. It made us have characters that felt really like I understood where they were coming from and why they were making the choices that they were making, like almost instantaneously, while also not even always agreeing with them. And like, I think the main character Marie several times throughout the episodes makes choices that I was uh, sort of like, no, that's the it's the wrong choice. You can do use correctly, but her age, and then also just like where she comes from i'm just sort of like i get a clear understanding of her her impulses and and what her motivations are uh which is like something that i feel like a lot of tv shows miss a lot of the times now where characters just make choices as sort of assuming that will like read into it without like giving us a clear like place that that comes from uh so i loved all of that and then also too like you spoke about like relatability like with the boys a lot of it is playing out in sort of these very broad terms that are meant to evoke sort of American politics of the time. And while this show does that, I feel like because it's trying to say less grandiose things about the state of our political system, it's just sort of honing in on kids at a university. It allows their stories to feel, I think, a little bit more uh, instantly relatable than mm. like Homelander being like a Trump allegory or a George Bush allegory. Right. Um, these These kids are just like, they're dealing with like things that I think a lot of us or many of us have dealt with going through our own like high school or college experiences. So I, I really loved the characterization right off the board for all of them. Well, I will say that you can accuse the boys of being many things, <laughs> but you cannot accuse them of being subtle. Oh yeah. Subtlety and, is, is and yeah. <laughs> neither. And the same is true for Gen V, which mm-hmm. is, I think not subtle at all. I think you're talking about allegory. Like there's many, allegories in the, oh, for sure, for the, sure. the superhero powers of the characters are basically allegorical in many cases right yes uh, in the show um the most prominent one being there's a character who is only able to activate her superpower by um vomiting right mm-hmm. and it's very clearly a an allegory for an eating disorder i mean that's explicitly mentioned people view it as an eating disorder, but it's like, no, it's not an eating disorder. It's just, but it's like, she does it to please other people. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, she does it because it literally makes her small. Um, And so uh, not so, not so a little bit, a little bit on the nose as it were. Uh, But at the same time, everything else you said, Jesse, I completely agree with. I think um, these characters, in my opinion, are much more relatable. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of us have been to high school or college. We all know like what those dynamics are like. Um, and 
I think they did an amazing job with the cast because oh yeah, these are people. I don't think I knew a single one of these people before. Maybe I'd seen them in like one or two other things, but I don't think I knew a single one of these actors. I am invested in most of their outcomes at this point. I'm really like care about each character and want to see each one survive and thrive. And uh, I really found the first three episodes to be quite engrossing. So uh, yeah. Any other thoughts, Jesse, before we get to our detailed recap? Yeah, no, I think the only, the only other thing I would say to just bounce off of what you said is like the only actor I knew was Clancy Brown and he didn't really last very long. Yeah, indeed. Um, and, uh, and yeah, just the Clancy Brown is too big of a deal for Gen V. Is yeah, what we yeah, found like, out I gotta go and show. do some other things. I gotta go be <laughs> Lex Luthor somewhere else. Um, but yeah, no, he, uh, beyond that too, just to reiterate the point that you just made, like it isn't subtle. But I do think the the allegories here are much more lower stakes, kind of going to what you were saying, where it's like, again, they don't have to be you know, representative of American politics or like. Yeah, uh, it's just can I get everyone in class to like me? You know, like exactly. That's, that's what exactly. the stakes are in the show, yeah. right? So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So right. I really like it. All right. Well, those are our overall thoughts on the first three episodes of Gen V. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's get to uh, a more detailed recap. So let's talk, talk about each of the episodes in turn. Uh, episode one entitled God You. The series begins eight years ago when we meet Marie. Upon getting her first period, she also discovers she has blood bending powers due to her parents giving her V when she was a baby. Let's pause for a moment. <laughs> one, of, one of the most unrealistic components of the boys, Jesse, tell me if you agree or disagree, is, you know, spoilers for the boys, but we find out, you know partway through that show that uh, supers are not born with powers, right? They are, mm-hmm. uh, they are given a compound when they're children called uh, compound V and it makes some of them into superheroes and so on, um, gives them superpowers. And we are meant to believe that hundreds of parents did this and that information never got out into the open. Yeah, uh, like it was it was a widely kept secret, right? That like no one knew about this. It is um, it is one of those like weird things where like season one of the boys made a big deal of like them discovering this, and now subsequent seasons just kind of have to take that as like right, yeah, it, no one knew about this until now. It's it's funny because you know one of the. Uh, you know how one of the the ways people like disprove conspiracy theories, like mm. the moon landing never happened, you know, and it's like, really, you think a thousand people colluded <laughs> with each other and didn't uh, didn't tell anyone the true secret of the moon land? And it's like, this is basically the show wants us to believe that that's actually possible, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, just another element of the show that I'm like, I find that stretches my credulity. You, f- you but... find a show with people having superpowers, unbelievable. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank yeah. All right. All right, Jesse. <laughs> no, this, I... that's, how, that's how it's going to be. Okay. Uh, anyway, shocked by her new powers, Marie accidentally brutally kills her parents while her younger sister watches. 
Years later, Marie, having lived in a foster home, gets accepted to Godolkin University, the premier superperson university. Before attending, she's warned that if expelled, she'll be sent to a Vought adult facility, essentially a prison for superhumans. Marie hopes to put her head down and become the first black woman in the seven, even stopping a seemingly meth-addled student from escaping who is ranting something about the woods. Yet she finds she has been relegated to the performing arts school, despite her failed attempt to convince famed school of crime-fighting professor Richard Brinkerhoff, played by Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown, to let her join his class. All right, so pretty cool setup. Like the opening scene where Marie kills her parents is horrifying right yeah, i was i i knew it was coming too and because i'd read like initial brief on it but i was oh damn it was brutal yeah and especially because like after her mom is killed that's already like traumatizing but mm-hmm. then the way her dad is killed too like it comes afterwards and you know you think oh maybe he's gonna be okay no and then like and then imagining the damage that would do to your whole y- your relationship with your sister if like she mm-hmm. knew that like you killed both your parents and made them you an orphan um it's just a lot of stuff to deal with in the first like 10 it, minutes of the show and we are forgetting she had her period too <laughs> like it's just it's just like if that isn't a metaphor for what puberty is like <laughs> mm-hmm. murdering your parents but yeah no yeah. It, it was very effective yeah yeah um i liked a lot of the stuff with setting up the school and like the mm-hmm. the promo video like that all seemed very uh accurate and you know um i like the kind of verisimilitude there i think that um one of the things that's interesting about the boys and the boys universe and and therefore the gen v universe is it's like our universe like it's it's kind of like our universe but slightly different as opposed Mm -hmm. to you know marvel definitely takes place in our universe and and uh, dc is kind of like gotham and you know that doesn't really that's not really it's like our universe adjacent but this Mm -hmm. is like there are p- people in this universe also refer to pop culture works. Yes. In our world, like PewDiePie, who who catches some strays in this episode, and also um, Riverdale. You know, like mm-hmm. they'll they'll reference things that we know about, which I thought was kind of interesting. So anyway. yeah, I always I always find what they choose to reference and what they choose to change uh, very fun because they have like uh, so you think you have super talent. I think was also yeah, briefly right. mentioned. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like oh that that one gets to be different. We don't have regular talent shows anymore. Right, right, and they have you know Dawn of the Seven instead of the Avengers. I think mm-hmm. there's no like MCU in this in this world, as far as I can tell. So yeah. Um, anyway, uh, anything else you want to say about the first part of uh, of episode one? Well, the uh, the thing season? that we'll talk more about it later, but I did find the ranking system that they set up at Golden mm. uh, Godolkin University to be really interesting, and like how that rank is established because you know in I'm thinking of like anime where you have like schools with people fighting each other. It's all done by like how many fights you can win. But here, kind of reflecting the the political critique of the boys overall, is just it's it also like takes into account how many social media followers someone has. Uh, it equates to the rank we sort of learn, which I found like very fascinating about how, and it's a kind of a recurring theme throughout the show of how much these kids are forced to be already, even at this young age, be thinking about like their presence to the outside world and how they have to appear and their social media and their PR. And it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting thing of like how we just sort of literally are ranking students based on not just ability, but social media followers. I thought that was a really, really interesting point the show is making. It's the IMDb star meter of the it, boys universe, basically, right? It it's really like, is. It, it's like the secret sauce of like all these different factors that get that get mixed into there. Yeah, and how um, that messes with, I mean, it messes with adults' heads, but like kids just going into that, it's, it's, it's yeah. We also learn a little bit about how 
the universe is structured when it comes to superheroes. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the characters at one point says, you know, only five kids from the class will get a city contract. And I just thought that this is kind of a cool concept, a cool idea of like, oh, right. Um, like each city maybe has like a super that they like contract with. Right. And they're mm-hmm. paid money and they're, they're like, so Phoenix Jones is like the Seattle, you know, superhero. And like, so-and-so is this, is the, Poughkeepsie superhero or whatever, right? And then, like, there's only very few of those contracts, and everyone desires them, right? Um, yeah, it, the it, 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 superheroism. There's this kind of stratification of like those are the elite that can actually do the crime fighting, and the rest of people basically just look good on camera, right? And that, that's mm-hmm. kind of what they do. So I, I thought those those are all like interesting, rich world building moments, in my opinion. So yeah. Um, all right, so shall we move on then? Uh, we soon it, yeah. we soon meet Marie's fellow students. Uh, Marie's roommate, Emma, played by Lizzie Broadway, has become a famous social media star due to her miniaturizing power, something she seems to have mixed feelings about, especially due to its bulimia-like induction. Uh, I'm going to pause here for a moment, Jesse. Um, I-, I thought about you because those who don't, those who don't know, uh, you know, they're, uh, J- Jesse is, in my opinion, a big deal on YouTube. I, I-, I-, I look up to Jesse when it comes to her YouTube status. And um, there's a scene in this episode mm-hmm. where uh, Emma, the, the miniaturizing girl, needs to like meet up with other sort of actors in the in the theater program or whatever at the school, and everyone starts complimenting her on her YouTube status. They're like, "Oh, I love your channel. I love your stuff." And then she's very embarrassed by it. She she feels very embarrassed by it. She's like not happy that they're doing that now. Part of that may be because we later find out what like what her relationship is with her miniaturizing powers. Mm-hmm. But I was I was wondering like is part of it just like she's ashamed of being a YouTuber, you know? And I, I guess I was kind of curious what your reaction was to that scene. Oh, I related to that really hard. There's also another scene too where she's sort of reading all of her uh like like comments on stuff. Yeah. And like there's ones like, oh, go kill yourself will also like you're the best person ever. Like that right. constant. I, I definitely experienced that, uh, where it's just like it's hard to get a read on on your own self when you get caught up in a lot of the comments because there are people that will be like you're the worst person ever i despise you you're you're shit uh versus like you and then literally the next comment is yeah, you, you changed you my helped, life yeah you, you have say, helped me get through a difficult time in your life right? exactly like, or in my life in my life right? yeah right. no and so i've experienced that too i mean i'm a big in the star trek community so whenever i go to a trek convention there are people that stop me all the time i'm always like no i'm I'm not a big deal. Like I'm just here just to trek you like everybody else. I just dance for your amusement on a camera. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting sort of like embarrassment. That's just like, you're proud of what you're, you do and what you've made, but you're also sort of like, don't wish to be venerated when, or like put above other people, which kind of even ties into the larger point of the boys, right. Of like these people who are put on a pedestal through their, like their value uh, in some sort of ranking or to a corporation or something like that. It, it It's like a miniature, again, it's a more relatable version of, I think the themes that the show, the franchise has always sort of been dealing with. Absolutely. I mean, I think like, some of the people on the boys are ostensibly also big on social media, but like, yeah. it just doesn't, again, I, I just feel like they're not big enough of a deal. Like it would be, it would be constantly blaring at you at all times in a way mm-hmm. that it's not in, in the show, the boys. Whereas like in here, it feels like a realistic amount of involvement with social media is occurring, you know, yeah, in, in my opinion. No, especially as like the other students too being like, um, like there are other superheroes as well, or their soups or whatever we want to call them, Gen V people. Um, 
they they would be more aware of these things too. Like for me, when I go to like, I never get recognized like at all. Like if I'm on the street, no one recognizes me. But if I go to a Star Trek convention or like a queer like group meeting, I will get recognized all the time there. <laughs> so yeah. it's just an interesting sort of like who your audience is. All right, let's move on. So there's Jordan Lee also, a gender bending soup ranked at number two and a surrogate child of Brink the Professor. Andrew has the power to manipulate metal and his best friends with Luke, the golden boy, Brink's star pupil ranked number one, who's set to become a member of the seven. There's also Kate, Luke's girlfriend, who controls people's actions through touch. After Marie's powers avert a tragic accident during a night out, Brink expels Marie. So she takes the fall to cover for her fellow high performing students as she's just an orbit who, uh, orphan who killed her parents. Angry, Marie confronts Brink just in time to see him killed by golden boy Luke who seems manic after visions of a strange figure telling him that the woods are real. Eventually, after fighting Jordan, Luke tells Andre, your dad has it, before flying up into the sky and exploding by suicide. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is the first episode of Gen V. And yeah, these are all really interesting developments. You know, like the idea that Jordan doesn't like Marie, but then... uh, you know, then they need to hang out. That's like an interesting like tension. And then they go out and then, um, is it, uh, is it Andre that accidentally cuts that girl's neck? With yes, the, yeah. Um, with, the, right. with the butterfly th- or the, the hummingbird thing. thing. Yeah. Which is like, <laughs> it's, it's such a shocking moment. Like, I don't know if you saw it coming, but I was like, no, I did not. Uh, yeah. 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 It, it, it's just a wonderful moment when he's like, okay, I'm going to, he's flirting with this girl and he makes this thing go, this like metal bird fly over and then accidentally gets pushed and ends up cutting a girl's throat. And then you see that, Marie would be able to like, you know, save that girl because of her blood powers. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it's all just like, oh, I, I I would never occur to me to put this arrangement of words together like this, you know? So yeah. I thought it was all very inventive. Anyway, go ahead, Jesse. What, 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 I, what I loved about it, especially that storyline, is how it kind of subverts the kind of superhero trope that we come to expect. Because we have that moment where she does save that person dying and you expect like the way this story would normally right. go. And yes. any superhero story would be like, you showed initiative. Yeah. Like, look, you get to get into my class now. Uh, <laughs> like, look at you. you. You saved the day and you proved yourself. Whereas actually we go in and we just see uh, Clancy Brown Brink just sort of tell her, like, you know, real sacrifice is like is, is just dying and um, with no one ever remembering you and that's why we're gonna throw you under the bus so we can save our our high performing students and it had the same vibe of like you know, like he had his whole life ahead of him so we're gonna shove like these girls mm. who you know come forward about you know sexual abuse allegations in college or things like that where it, it sort of mirrored that rhetoric of like well we can't we can't make him suffer because he's 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 got his whole life ahead of him sort of deal yeah, um, and, and it does carry on this sensibility from the boys and also this, that, like, the institution must be protected at all costs. In the mm-hmm. case of the boys, it's uh, Vought. In the case of Gen V, it's God you. Like, whatever it is, the institution is always looking out for its own interests, and it yep. must protect itself at the cost of humanity and, you know, throwing people under the bus and so on. So Yeah, and in um, other ways, too, it's also very subtle. Like, uh, so, so we say that the boys isn't very subtle, but it also is important to recognize, like, this is... Uh, a black girl taking the fall for like a bunch of not all not all white but mainly like uh luke who is a white boy who is literally called the golden boy so there's like an interesting <laughs> yeah. like like racial dynamic to it that the show never expressly like hits on the head by like saying look this is me being discriminated against because i'm black but it is there i think in a very salient way on that note i think the way the show handles marie's uh 
origins and class status mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a fairly explicit way, I think is, uh, is a, is sort of meaningful representation because uh, basically it's a, it's a constant pain point in the show that Marie doesn't have a phone. Mm-hmm. Right. And like somebody this famous, everyone's going to try to get in touch with her. And she's always like, I don't have a phone. Sorry. Like, and um, it's just good to remind people like not everyone can afford a phone. Right. And like, I, I think that uh, the show really commits to, being true to life when it comes to a character who's from the background that Marie's from. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated that as well. All right. Uh, so that is the end of episode one. And also like the way episode one ends, I, I was shocked because mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that golden boy would die in the first episode. <laughs> I didn't think that Clancy Brown would die in the first episode. I was just like, Oh, um, so the fact that the show just offs these two major characters that we've just been introduced to uh, bold move, and uh, undoubtedly, we'll find out more about you know the the meaning behind those deaths uh, as the show goes on. Any other thoughts on episode one before I move on, Jesse? No, I agree. I'm I'm always shocked by the boys' ability, uh, this universe's ability to surprise me. So yeah, indeed. I wanted to just take a pause and uh, real quick and say if you are enjoying this podcast, you can subscribe to more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of Gen V and of the podcast. Find us across all platforms: YouTube, Instagram threads at decoding tv all right uh jesse let's get to episode two first day you want to tell us what happens in first day i can marie and andre are championed as the guardians of godolkin after luke's murder of brink despite neither of them having much to do with the events causing them to move up in rank at the school marie is positioned to become the quote black starlight as vaught sets its media machine in motion meanwhile uh, Indrina Shetty, played by Shelley Kahn, the dean of Godolkin University and a super psychologist, takes over the crime fighting school and invites Marie in. Despite actually fighting Luke, Jordan Lee is lowered in the ranks due to the assumption that their gender fluidity will not play well with conservative audiences, leading Jordan to ask Marie to tell the real story on live TV. Yet after learning that her sister still wants nothing to do with her, Marie proclaims herself the sole hero in the fight against Luke. Some again, pretty interesting stuff here. I like the reversal of power between Jordan and Marie, and kind mm-hmm. of you know, first Jordan screws Marie over, and then Jordan is asking Marie, "Hey, please just acknowledge me. That's all I'm looking for." Yeah, uh, and I, you know, I, there's a general rule: is whenever you see someone rehearsing something in a movie or a TV show. When the thing plays out for real, it's not going to be the thing. Oh, it never is because it's like, why would they show it? It completely saps the power from it. Mm -hmm. If you, if you, they rehearse something and then the actual thing happens and they do it the exact same way, there's no reason to do it that way. So I kind of get a sense of what she's rehearsing giving Jordan credit that she's not going to actually do it oh, yeah. on the air, right? But it, um, it's, it's meant to give us a sense that at least she, she, she yeah, wants she's thinking to about do it. That. Yeah. yeah, and, and, and the it. only reason she changes is because of her her desire to connect with her sister, who views her as literally the person who murdered their parents. <laughs> um, so, like, it because it, 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 the, the way to have done this badly would have been just to show her do it that way um, and just go in front of everything and and just sort of say I was the lead hero. And it would make her sort of, I think, an unlikable protagonist. But here we can understand why she chooses to make her choice while also knowing that in, in her heart she does want to do the right thing and, and announce Jordan. I also really like Jordan, the reversal, as you say, with, with Jordan here because um, Jordan – 
it would have it would have been very easy to, for lack of a better phrase, like mean girls it because uh, there's always those like things in like in in like teen drama sort of stuff where it's always like I hate her just cause and I'm gonna be a, like I'm gonna be just mean about it. But there's there's really good nuance in how Jordan feels about Marie and and vice versa. Like they 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 don't just hate each other for no reason. Like there is a power dynamic and a sense of superiority in both of them at certain points. But they both attempt to actually reach out as human beings and it's not just like catty infighting sort of thing yeah um agreed completely by the way uh any thoughts on what jordan's powers are uh obviously yeah have, i was thinking about have, that too they have the ability to uh change uh, gender uh like into different personas but uh evidently they also uh, have super strength is kind of my sense or like yeah. super uh invincibility of some kind right that's how they're able to face off against golden boy and not die immediately yeah there's there's um, some there's some level in this show of they do a generally good job of showing how powers work but there's not always a good clear communication about it there's even later on this episode there's like um uh was it Kathy uh the who can like manipulate people's uh thoughts um, like she passes out at one point because she overused her powers, which wasn't like ever showed to us as a limit before then. Right, so right. it kind of feels a little, rings a little bit hollow when that happens. So it's just, it's always weird. I was sort of like, oh, I guess, I guess Jordan can take on Golden Boy. I was, I, I guess that's the thing that can happen here. <laughs> I guess, uh, someone can conveniently pass out when they've used their powers to, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Jesse, that didn't bother me too much because it's not like. <laughs> when you introduce yourself, you're going to be like, hey, I have the ability to move my blood around. And also, if I do it too much, I die, you know, or something like they don't, oh, I, they don't I, necessarily they don't necessarily explicitly state what it does. You know what I'm oh, saying? I, so. I, I think I agree with you completely on, on that. front. I think because, again, the bad way to do it would just be someone say, like, let's all introduce each other and have our power. Like you could have ha- seen a scene where someone did that. It's like, let's all go around, and introduce ourselves and have some professor do it. And I like this way. We're just sort of drawn in. But when there's like a an emotional or like climactic hinge point based on that of like the character passing out, it it, it feels like it wasn't set up enough for me to like then invest in it happening mm. here because it just sort of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, other thoughts on this whole sequence of events. So uh, I think that the show's view on the you know the boys and Gen V's view on the media is a very acid take, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 not like the media is this wonderful institution that can speak truth to power. It's always just a tool of the institutions that need to be defended, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that here, like the the media is being manipulated just to bolster the, uh, to th- basically bolster Marie as the guardian and also help help the school by extension help the school raise money, right? So like, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly we see kind of our share of that as well in the boys TV show as well. Um, but, uh, the, on that note, the other thing that this show explores, I think pretty well is how, uh, people's identity and struggles can be commoditized, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, what your identity is, um, the fact that you're a black person, the fact that you are, um, uh, you come from a certain background. The fact that you suffer from an eating disorder or something people perceive as an eating disorder. Like there is ways we can turn that into money, right? Yep. Like, mm-hmm. and, and not only ca- can we, can people, but they will take every opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think the way the show depicts this is uh, done so in a fairly stark and occasionally entertaining way. What do you think about that, Jesse? Oh, I think so. It's great. I think it does so really, really well. It, it The show does such a good job of showcasing moments where uh, people are, how people are enticed 
to, mm-hmm. to fall into that and fall into that machine. Like Marie throughout this, she she sees it for like personal reasons to like want to reach out to her sister. But then there's also moments too where she sort of sees herself um, having these opportunities put in front of her that she's never had before uh, because she is now useful and her story is useful. I mean, like someone literally calls out like her being potentially the black uh, starlight um, and, and like commodifying her identity in that way, being a black woman. And so, yeah, it, it, the show just does a great job of understanding how these institutions work by attempting to play into people's anxieties and class struggles and fears um, by sort of saying, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps while we utilize you for our own our own ends. But then also showcasing how that alienates people as well at the same time as we'll get more into in, in episode three. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, uh, Jesse, why don't you finish the swing on on the second uh, episode and what happens there? Yeah. Uh, Emma begins her acting classes taught by the washed-up director of The Dawn of the Seven from uh, the movie of The Boys Season 2. Uh, let's, let's pause there for a moment. I like... Uh... The fun ways that the show includes characters from the boys in yeah. the show. It's it's all very like they like explain it in very funny, amusing ways. Or it's like, uh, what's his name? Um The Deep showing up in um in a commercial for Brink or whatever. You know, it's like yep. it's like it's just like in these little tiny ways that show, hey, it's all tied in together, but it's not as it's not in your face or distracting, in my opinion. No, I, um, I agree completely too. I really liked. I really liked how they're utilized here, and it makes the world feel natural as right, opposed to like totally. for, I've I've seen other shows where they have they technically are in the same universe, but you're just like, well, why wouldn't why wouldn't this character? I mean, MCU right. probably being the biggest example of that. Why wouldn't Captain America show up when the world's <laughs> ending for the fifth time in this movie? Why know? aren't Agents of Shield just constantly surrounded by Avengers at all times? You know, like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make yeah. any sense, right? Yeah, uh, but here it actually feels like yeah, this this feels like a normal amount of involvement that the seven would have with the people in this show. So yeah, I, I really like that. Anyway, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. Uh, here, Emma teams up with her scene partner, Justine, who initially seems to see Emma as more than just her superpowers or her social media ranking. However, after Emma opens up and reveals that her miniaturizing superpowers are engaged through inducing vomiting, Justine reveals her secret to the world for social media clout. Uh, meanwhile, and I'll just sort of continue on. For the yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, Andre, torn up by his best friend's death, begins investigating the Woods mystery, eschewing the potential fame he could earn through Vought, disappointing his father, a former member of the Seven, Polarity. Eventually, following Luke's cryptic Your Dad Has It clue, Andre uh, uncovers that the Woods is a secret testing facility for child soups, including Sam, Luke's younger brother, who uh, was the meth-addled student from the other night, who Luke thought died by suicide years ago. Andre follows mysterious soldiers destroying evidence, but is nearly captured until he is saved by Kate, who collapses from overuse of her powers. A lot of developments on that plotline, but let's talk about the Emma and Justine plotline. I'm just going to say, I feel a lot of sympathy for the kids these days, Jesse. I mean, <laughs> the youths, uh, yeah, the, you for, understand for the, youths, the youths for the youngins, <laughs> you know, because just because. A variety of reasons. First of all, like a lot of what you do is just online Mm. now. Like you Mm. live in public in a way that I'm going to guess you and I never really did when we were growing up, Jesse. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes. So just what Justine does in the show is reprehensible. Like she is, she not only co-ops Emma's story, uh, she like uh, does it under the guise of social justice. Yes. Does it under the guise of like, Look at how good of a feminist I am. She makes herself small. This. She makes herself small for the male gaze. I think is, right. is, some, is something akin to what she says. Right, and that's like it's a very, 
it's a very uh, prominent thing that's happening right now on social media, I would argue, where uh, there's a lot of people who, under the guise of social justice or um, or propagating the proper way of feeling and behaving and believing things, they, in that process, do things that are terrible. Like yeah. that, that is a thing that is happening every day, in my opinion. And um, I think this really gets at it, you know, a little bit on the nose when she's filming her apology <laughs> to put it online too. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I feel for, uh, and here's the thing, as much as Justine is a terrible person, I understand why she's doing what she's doing because the the incentives are aligned for Justine's mm-hmm. to succeed in the world. And that is what is said. Right, go ahead. I mean, anyway, it, go ahead, it goes, it, I mean, it goes ties in what we were talking about earlier, uh, right? About like how the institutions are, are all there to sort of commodify people's identities. And I think what the Gen V is trying to connect here, because we get some level of social media stuff in the boys, but here it's a much clearer, like, look at how people are being taught to commodify themselves through social media, which also ultimately serves the same institution. Like where we do YouTube stuff, we commodify ourselves, but YouTube gets a cut of it. So it's like, it's, it's how we're training ourselves to do that commodification of our own identities and other people's identities uh, ourselves for, for gain and clout. It's, it, it just, it's a nice mirroring of those two themes that is sort of brought down to, to that level in a way that's relatable to, to the youths, as they say. <laughs> Indeed. I'm sure they say it that way too. Exactly. Um, yeah. Any am I overusing fun? the youth's joke? Is that is that is that is that, is that proof that I am not the youth? <laughs> uh, any thoughts on the Andre storyline? I mean, we can talk more about it in the next episode, but um, yeah, I think I, I think it's probably better to talk about it more. Oh, sorry. I, I will say I think that uh, the way Kate uses her power, like every time Kate uses her powers in this situation uh, in this show, it really bothers me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm like, what? Does anything turn that off? Like, you know, she's like, she tells a guy to hit himself in the balls with a baseball bat. Um, and it's like, does that guy ever stop? Or does he just do that forever until he dies? Like, what, what, what is the end game for those people, right? Like, does yeah. he wear off after a while? Like, I don't, I don't know how it works. Presumably, I mean, I, I, I'm basing it. There was another show. I think there was like a cartoon show. I can't remember what it was, but there's a cartoon show where there was another character who had a very similar power and people will just do it until they die in, in that version. I feel like it's, probably the same considering what we later learn in the next episodes like right her, yeah and so I, I feel like it is interesting to see how because she says something about like oh it's i'm all about consent uh at one point i think well, in with people one, she knows with people, yeah, with she, people knows. she knows yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it speaks to like how even though she and we learned that that probably comes out of her trauma of her childhood but it, it kind of also speaks to like how she values certain people or not, even even without awareness. Like she will value her friends who are people like her, other superheroes, but she does not value necessarily like the work, like the people working at the bar or the people guarding the uh, the club they're about to enter. Like the working class folks are just sort of like, yeah, whatever. They're not, or like the non superhero people, our people are just there to be used by her. It's it's again, it's like a subtle mindset thing that the show sort of leans into. So. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, every time she uses her powers, I'm like, is that person just going to keep sucking on that flashlight until they die? Like, is that, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just asking that, you know? And if so, that's really, really troubling. It's really, really, it's really, really messed upsetting. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really disturbing. Okay. Um, all right, before we get to episode three, I do want to mention, I don't think I said this. Uh, I meant to say this earlier on, but I, I just want people to know uh, I'm really enjoying the show. Uh, Jesse's really enjoying the show. I do think we are going to cover the end of the show in November. Um, 
but we're probably not going to do week by week recaps. So I do, I do want people to know that we will be doing like a final wrap up episode about the show um, uh, at some point. So people can look forward to that. Okay. Let's get to episode three. Hashtag think brink, <laughs> which I really like as an episode title because it shows that even someone's death, we can oh, assign yeah. a social media value to. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Marie and Emma have a falling out after Emma opens up about her powers. Uh, Marie deepens her relationship with the Dean, uh, Indira, who mentors her in navigating university politics and superior life. At a memorial gallery, a gala for Brink, the professor, Marie lies about her family history to build up uh, her brand with Khan's tutelage. Um, eventually, she reconciles with Emma and opens up to Kate and Jordan with the truth about her family, who also reveal their tragic histories and the three of them bond. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit uh, about this. Uh, sorry, I, I said Khan. Uh, that's Shelly Khan who plays in Dira Shetty. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, I thought the gala stuff was really strong. Uh, there was this moment when I don't, I don't know if we got to cover this later, but like basically Emma and Marie reconcile in the bathroom mm-hmm. uh, at the gala, and that was a very I almost I, I, uh, maybe cried a little bit during that because it's like. Just this moment of connection that they have. Um, these two people have had, each ha- have had a very difficult life. <laughs> yeah. Very, like different lives, but very difficult lives. And, and of course they have more in common than they do different. And, and I, I really like that the show kind of brought them together a little bit in that moment in the bathroom. So, um, and it was really realistic, lovely. like helping her like hold her dress while she's peeing too. It kind of, yeah. it, it makes it feel like it's a weird scene, but it's, it's a, like a heartwarming and very realistic scene. Like I've had friends of mine help me in the bathroom when I've had weird costumes on. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that felt very real. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it was, it, it just speaks to like how much I've already invested in these characters only three episodes in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I was like, wow, this is a really powerful moment between these two people that I care about. Um, and I think a lot of it is the casting. I think a lot of it mm-hmm. is these actors are really, really good at, at, uh, depicting these characters. Um, what else about this sequence? I mean, um, uh, can we should we talk about um, the dean because she is uh, she's kind of set up to be like the main antagonist. Uh, kind of, and I kind of related to her in our notes here to Stillwell from season one of The Boys, um, mm, yeah, then yeah. sort of uh, head of uh, Vought at that point in the series. Um, I think so. I, at the same time, a very from what I can tell, a very realistic depiction of Dean life, where she says, mm-hmm. "I remember, I remember when." Um, I was in college and uh, one of my professors told me what the president of the college told them their job was, right? The, mm-hmm. the president of the college said, my job is to go to someone who's giving $1 million to this college uh, and have dinner with them and try to convince them to give $2 million to the college, <laughs> right? It's not and, accurate, yeah. And, and that is like what the president's job is. And it's like, you know, the dean is really like, hey, like I got to make, I got to raise money for this place or else... Uh, basically at all costs or else this whole thing's going to go under, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and I appreciated that, you know, uh, a realistic depiction of uh, how financial incentives shape our uh, higher education. Again, um, the, institu- the institutions are the villains, really, in this series, not, yeah. the, not the individual people. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but did you have any other thoughts about Indira Shetty as a character? I really liked the fact that she is also a psychologist. I think it'll be an interesting, mm. they they only use it a tiny bit in, I think episode two where she kind of has like a therapy session with Marie. But I feel like if they lean into that more, I think that can be an interesting sort of like Sopranos esque, like uh, kind mm. of setup that they could do with this series that I think you wouldn't get really in the boys, like imagining Homelander doing a therapy session repeatedly over the series. I feel it would be kind of wild. So I think that's an interesting sort of thing to do. There is a moment when she says, uh, 
yeah, like uh, what's his name? Br- uh, Brink, you know. Yeah, he was playing with fire. No wonder he got burned. This guy, this guy was teaching super superhero people. This guy was teaching soups, and I'm like, isn't that your whole job? Like, <laughs> I, I, I feel like. You know, she was kind of like saying, oh, well, of course, he's dealing with the most dangerous people imaginable. Of course he would die. I feel like if there was a college of soups, people would be dying or getting maimed or injured all the time. Oh, like, yeah. And I think we even, get, we even get hints of that already in these episodes, too. Like the <laughs> going out to the bar. I feel like that's not an inconsequent. Like, that's not that's not all that surprising or shocking, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, think of how much. How much terrible things happen at a normal college? Now, now imagine a lot of those people will have superpowers yeah. that are unspeakable. Give, um, give college kids, get college kids with superpowers drunk. That'll that'll end well, I'm sure. <laughs> right. So I did find her kind of judgy about the fact that you know what Brink was doing, but it's like, dude, you work at a school for soup. Like they're exploding sexually and sometimes literally. Um, mm-hmm. So of course, uh, terrible things would be happening all the time. Anyway. Uh, just just one of the moments when I got taken out of the reality of the show a little bit. Yeah. All right. yeah. Meanwhile, Jordan's parents come to visit for the gala, and we learn that Jordan's father views their gender-bending ability as a burden, wishing Jordan to be his son. Emma's mother also visits, who seems more worried about Emma's brand in the wake of her bulimia-like abilities being announced to the world than her actual health. All right. Jesse, I got to gotta ask you about this, because mm-hmm. I'm old enough to remember... When in Brian Singer's X2, the sequel to X-Men, do you know what I'm going to ask about? This this line in X2? There was uh, a line in X2 that I remember generating a lot of discussion at the time. Because in the movie X2 with Brian Singer, there's a moment when I think Iceman goes home to his parents. Oh, And yes. reveals to them that he is a mutant with superpowers. Mm-hmm. And one of the parents says, have you tried not being a mutant? And it is a very, it's obviously a gay allegory, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's like, this is um, an allegory for what happens when a child goes home and needs to tell their parents they're gay. And and at the time, it was kind of groundbreaking to even have something like that in a movie. But the line, have you tried not being a mutant, was very clunky, is a very clunky way to do that. Because it it, it just makes the allegory super obvious, right? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I remember there being a lot of chatter around that, like people supportive of the idea of coming out to your parents, but like not supportive of allegories being super clunky. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very on the nose sort of thing. Right. Right. And I'm curious, like how you felt about that here, because it does feel like Jordan, a character who can literally change their gender at will. Um, and, and basically their parents struggling to deal with it. Um, is clearly uh, an allegory for a, a trans child, you know, sort of dealing mm-hmm. with their parents' relationship to it. How do you, you feel about how the show handled that? I actually think it is handled really, really well, uh, this, especially given the fact that it is both literal and allegorical at the same time, because it's very clear, like the father at one point makes this illusion. She's like, I'm not a bigot. And so, and, and also there's, um, I think uh, at one point, one of the characters like calls out that Jordan uh, is going to be lowered in the ranking because they are, uh, they are sort of non-binary gender fluid. Like there's prejudice against trans individuals, even in the world of, of the boys. 
um, which you could and, throw and, up to- and, and Asian trans individuals. And, that was yeah, another, they they it, threw yeah. the Asian in there too, just uh, it, just for good measure. So exactly, so showcasing like that those biases in there. So so it is a literal representation of those things. But what I really liked about this depiction was how um, how realistic it felt in the sense that. There are a lot of, you know, I experienced this from doing a lot of the advocacy work I do for trans uh, in like trans discussions is there are a lot of parents who will be like, oh, I, I accept you. But, you know, I, I feel like I'm losing the the boy or the girl that I always dreamed about, like the sense of like mourning the loss of what they expected for their child rather than seeing their child for who they actually are. Um, and 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 it's not overt like. Oh, I hate trans people. You know the you know they're trans and the youth, and you know they're destroying society with their gender. Um, but it is it is a very realistic way that that um, you know cis normativity, I guess, is what we call it in the trans community of like kind of like heteronormativity, but for cisgender folks in comparison to trans folks, um, that being played out in in a parent. And I thought it was I thought it was very well handled, and I really also liked jordan's sort of statements like i i'm both uh because one way we get into gender fluidity often is people saying like oh they prefer one they prefer the other you know they're they exist as as like a boy and a girl at different times and that's who there's like no jordan at least how jordan thinks about their gender fluidity is they they sort of move between both and exist as both at different points in their life and so it's it's sort of breaking apart that binary idea so i thought that that was really interesting um and i'd be curious to see the show sort of play with that more because there is is sort of a binary presentation that uh, they play with. And I'm curious if there's any aspect of like a non-binary presentation that the right. show may go into at some point. So I think there's a lot of, lot of room to go with this. Um, and the only, the only caveat that I have with it is just part of the allegory is that's a little bit funky. Is that like technically uh, their gender bending ability comes from their parents giving them drugs as a kid, which could play into some bad stereotypes, but mm. it's kind of like comes with, I think just if you're going to do this in the world of the boys, that kind of comes with it. So I'm willing to look past that aspect of it. So it, it feels again, it feels like the fact that the parents gave them the drugs is like a really unfortunate. Yes. Like, <laughs> point of it. Really unfortunate plot point they have to deal with. It's like it's, it's, the allegory would be so much cleaner without without mm-hmm. that component to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the, the father needs to bring up like, oh, yeah, when I gave you those drugs, I didn't think they'd do this. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, I'm reminded. Oh, right. You did this. Sorry. You know, uh, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, it's it's um really yeah go ahead the way the way that would work and i hope they make it clear is like jordan they can do this at some point in the latest like jordan would always have been some form of gender fluid regardless of the drugs Mm. uh and and the drugs just happened to bring that out um Mm. but it was they would have always been this way regardless i think that's the way you would have to do it properly yes the drugs bring that out and also give them some kind of invulnerability of some kind that we're yeah. not sure yet. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that we're not sure what it is yet. Um, anyway, uh, well, I, I, you know, I'm just happy. Uh, by the way, th- these are the most supportive Asian parents I know in my life. Basically, based on what I've seen, <laughs> based on what I've seen in the show, like super supportive. Anyone would, lo- you know, any Asian people I know would love to have these parents as parents. Yes, they have some problems, but they're they're you know super supportive. Uh, I'm being a little bit facetious because I acknowledge the seriousness of all the stuff that you said. Um, (laughs) But generally, uh, Asian parents are not as accepting as even what we've seen in the show (laughs) is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. 
So, uh, and I'm happy that they didn't have weird accents, you know? So this is, <laughs> these are, this is the representation I'm celebrating. Um, but, uh, <laughs> hey, but I'm anyway. with you. I think it's great. I think it's great, uh, representation from a non-binary gender fluid aspect as well. So I, I think they nailed it. So. Yeah. I, I think, uh, a lot of positive things to say about this. Uh, but yes, uh, just to be clear, I acknowledge that like, um, that, their their lack of acceptance is like a a plot point that is obviously very upsetting to Jordan and uh and everything that you said about like how parents center themselves in this conversation is worth considering so yeah but um, also oh, one one other thing I don't too, want my like, glib comments to to overlook that anyway, no, no 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 glib yeah. comments are great I think it's I think <laughs> yeah. it's good to not always take it so seriously I, yeah. I I I do I did like the one point where we do come in speak we were talking about sex earlier where the parents come in while Jordan's having sex uh, in the presentation of a girl, yeah. uh, and then has to like awkwardly switch while while the parents show up and, right. and do that. Like I thought that that was very very funny and also very again very realistic to a trans experience. I've had similar situations without getting too deep into that, but it's 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 uh it's 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 it like it, it finds like yes, there's discrimination. Yes, there is there is a very serious topic being dealt with here, but there's humor in it too, and and like weirdness uh that just goes on as well that I think is is. You know, we, you know, trans stuff is a big thing right now, obviously, for many different reasons. But like, I think there's there's room to have like humor in in that while talking about the serious aspects of it. Absolutely. One of my favorite things about that whole sequence, by the way, is the like guy in the tux that they're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, he handled that situation in a very realistic fashion, I thought. Yeah, where, yeah. Uh, you expect uh, a guy to be like, oh, how did I end up in this situation? You know, like on, on screen. But he's just like, hey, you know. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guys, uh, you know, catch up, right? It, it's a very yeah, it's like, like yeah, it's, I'm just gonna remove myself yeah, just, from the situation. It, it's a very realistic way of how a person in that situation would handle that, as opposed mm-hmm. to like, oh, I feel super awkward. Like I'm gonna, you know, yikes, mm-hmm. you know, some quip. Um, yeah, exactly. I thought it was really like well handled. So anyway, uh, okay. So despite his growing relationship with the more hesitant Kate. Andre continues his investigation into the woods, eventually revealing this to his father, who seemingly knows about the facility and tells him not to talk about it with anyone. (laughs) Um, Andre eventually recruits Emma to sneak into the woods where she finds Sam. The two hit it off as Emma lies to Sam about Luke to get him to wish him to leave, leading Emma to kill a guard to save Sam just as more guards burst into the room. Cut to credits. Uh, This plotline took place a little bit quickly for my taste yeah. like it's happened uh, you know andre recruiting uh, emma that makes sense but then going that night to break into the facility and then like emma and uh what's his name um sam sam yeah. like kind of falling in love after like a, what seems to be like a 20 minute conversation mm-hmm. uh it felt like a little bit rushed to me but uh, I appreciated kind of it all made sense to me. It all like made sense of stuff that would happen in this plotline. So yeah, I think I think it is a little bit fast, but I actually I'll I'll play defense on it a little bit. Not sure, but even if even though I do kind of agree with you, is I think it it works enough based on like where we know these characters are. Whereas like Emma is kind of. Uh, feeling a little self-conscious in a lot of ways. And so she would be kind of like anyone who does show her support kind of would be uh, like something she would feel drawn to, I think kind of quickly. Um, and and mm. then also too, I think it they also have, plays they have well. brought Emma to a very low point at that yes. point in the show, right? Like to be receptive. Her yeah. parents, like her, her colleagues, her parents have all 
been acting in ways that are unsupportive. So yes. I, I agree with you. They did do that work. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I think Sam is a, you could, you could question that cause we haven't gotten a ton about him. Uh, and I feel like he is a bit affable for someone who's been locked in a room for a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's like, Oh, look at my favorite movies. Let's talk about that. Says the guy who's basically been torched for every day of his life. Um, but but that being said, I will also chalk it up to the actors' chemistry is is really off the charts. Like that is what really sold it for me is that they their back and forth felt very real, especially considering the fact that presumably I would assume Emma, uh, the actress, is is not really there considering she's small. So I'm assuming she's playing that on a green screen mm-hmm. or it has yeah. to be um, because that was it was just it was very well acted and it that's what sold me on it. In the volume, perhaps you know. Yeah. It's pretty cool the way that when they show her that as a small person, I think it's like, mm-hmm. uh, it's some kind of effect, but it's like, oh, I, I buy it. Works. it you know? yeah, yeah, it works. Yeah. It works. I had a really out of body experience, Jesse, because I recently had the director, Dan Trachtenberg, on the Filmcast podcast, and we were talking about underrated movies, and he was saying how Waterworld was one of his, <laughs> uh, uh, like a movie that he thinks like people didn't give credit to at the time and now mm-hmm. like now people should regard it as a brilliant film and i i yelped when this guy <laughs> said my favorite movie is water roll i actually texted dan right away dan of course directed episode one of the boys mm-hmm. um so i don't know if he uh had some influence I, I don't know if he like i don't think he did i don't think he like this is uh, this is his long game he's just like i'm going to bring water world back i'm gonna put it in everything <laughs> uh but i i texted i was like i i can't believe like because we literally just had recorded that podcast like two weeks ago mm-hmm. so um the fact that waterworld was the big reveal of this guy's favorite movie i just thought was incredible do you have any thoughts on waterworld jesse are you are i mean you weirdly fan? weirdly enough I, it's just that weird waterworld summer i guess but i i was literally just at universal studios hollywood uh what was it like two weeks ago i think something like that uh for uh my partner's birthday and we went to the Waterworld show that they have there, which is actually really excellent. It's a very right. fun show. So I, I, I think there's just something in the water uh, world. Really, yeah. In the water world. The wa- water yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I think I do think Waterworld is slightly underrated. Like I don't think yeah. it's by any means like a work of great art, but I, I think it, it, it got, it got a better, a worse reception than I think it deserved. So. That was one of those movies where I think people, I, I've described this happening. There's been a few times. It, during my time, you know, observing this industry where there's just been a huge pile on, like a dog pile where like people sense blood in the water and like all yeah. the journalists like go at this movie. So a couple of other examples, uh, John Carter, that was a big one where like mm. everyone just kind of sensed that this might be a disaster and they all like went after it with this ferocity. Yep. Um, but the water world was one of the first, one of the first examples I can remember of that. where like, Oh, this movie costs $120 million. Kevin Costner sucks in this movie. You know, like, uh, it's painful. And then over time, because so much work went into a movie like that, you know, people still, people still like it. So yeah. John um, Carter is another movie that people hate on too, way too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think that's basically it in terms of the plot details of the first three episodes. Um, I thought the way the final kill happened was appropriately uh, gruesome. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just really upsetting to to consider. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't want some person running around all, all up in your head, right? That would no. be very upsetting. Right. No, not at all. Um, and it speaks to the. I like the practical effect too, because they have Emma like pop out of his ear, just covered, yeah. in, covered in blood. Yeah. And like that, that poor actress had to be like just soaked, soaked in it. I'm sure it was a very good effect. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you have a section in the notes called Random Thoughts, Jesse. I just want to make sure. <laughs> one, one of the random thoughts we didn't get to is uh, in the very first episode, you know, Emma miniaturizes herself mm-hmm. in order to have sexual intercourse with um, with a guy and like is yeah. literally hanging off of her penis, off of his penis. <laughs> And you see everything. You see oh, yeah. nothing. You nothing see the hidden. texture of the head of the penis. You see like <laughs> the texture of the testicle. You know, like everything. Um, and uh, it's it's a lot. And I was like, you know what? It wouldn't be the boys or a show that took place in the universe of the boys without some extremely graphic nudity. I think. Yeah, uh, I I really and I, and I mean this like jokingly, but like it's also seriously too. Like I also do appreciate that it is like penises, and we don't like yeah. have a bunch of like breast shots or things like that. And and not to be like uh, the sort of like well, we need to not like the Game of Thrones things. Like we need to do it to boys too. But it's like I I am of the school of like it's fine to objectify women in certain regards if the story calls for. It's just that only women are objectified in our film. And so having a chance to sort of like showcase nudity on a guy's side in a, in a very like relatable, like actual way, instead of it being like, Ooh, look at his dick. Isn't it a thing? Like it's, 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 (laughs) it's my reaction, by the way, when I see (laughs) a dick, Ooh, (laughs) look at his dick. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Every time, every time I see one, every time, every time I see one, Ooh, look at his dick. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I, I I do like, I do like the, the casualness of, of the dick as they say. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if objectification is what I would call it. Um, yeah, but I mean, I mean more, uh, it it doesn't make it, it doesn't, make it seem desirable let's put it that way yeah yeah Um, Yeah. but yeah but yes uh i I don't think there's any female nudity in the first few episodes yeah now that i remember all just male full frontal yeah uh in the first i'm here for it i'm here for it absolutely absolutely um anything else in the first few episodes that you want to mention Um, nothing nothing major i did like there was a metallica cover at the opening of episode two that i thought was a nothing else matters that was nice yeah yeah that was a nice one Um, but other than that there was nothing huge Okay, I'm going to say uh, the idea – okay, uh, uh, the uh, – what's this? Jordan's Asian parents show up, mm-hmm. and they bring food from, like, Vautburger, and it says uh, – you say, hey, we got you your favorite Deep's Calamari Poppers, <laughs> which I just think is a really, like, messed up idea because, like, yeah. one thing you know from the boys is Deep. Deep is basically Aquaman of the boys' world. And yeah. so he's like friends with all the fish and everything. So the idea that you'd have deep calamari poppers, I just thought was a really wonderful. Yeah. But uh. The other thing is we also know that like deep finds being in the seven to be like very dehumanizing. And so mm-hmm. it's really like, I bet that's just another indignity that the deep had to absorb is that they call them deep calamari poppers. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh my. So. And also the fact like, do you want to get calamari poppers from like a McDonald's? Like, I don't. I don't know if I. <laughs> I don't know if I trust that. Does the Does the boys' universe version of Burger King can they really? Can they really have the chill chain to manage calamari poppers? Yeah, you know? right. It's like, is, are those really? It's like that Taco Bell thing. It's like it's not really beef. Is it's like it's not really calamari. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, I have a few other things uh, written down in in my like random notes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, the show the the show takes like a bunch of different shots at like random things and people from our world. We already they mentioned PewDiePie. They said like one of the characters says, "I'm kind of like PewDiePie, but without all the Nazi stuff." Right? Yeah. Which is like, wow, okay, mm-hmm. uh, shots fired in the in the direction of PewDiePie. Uh, there's also uh, one of the characters. I think it's um, uh, Emma's 
evil friend uh justine is it what, what what's yeah just justine is yeah name, um yeah. is it her or someone else that describes like basically the plot of wandavision uh oh does like, she yeah I, I, maybe it's she not maybe it's like another character it's a, a character at the theater table or you know maybe that is justine but like she's like yeah i was uh in the show where like that covers 70 years of sitcoms, you know, and tells the story of grief and loss. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's uh, kind of uh, kind of taking a shot at WandaVision a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't what, think. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to make it. It's like, what is what is WandaVision? But Marvel persevering. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, what, the, uh, one other yeah. thing, too, that I, I forgot to mention in our notes, uh, too, is I did find interesting that um, there's a quick like shot of uh like news segments in in i think episode two where we do see that luke's parents uh are essentially being treated by the news coverage uh as kind of like the like parents of a mass shooter which was like an interesting equation to make uh for for that it was uh i'm curious to see if they'll develop that further because it seems interesting that they would bring it up randomly of like how luke's parents are sort of being discussed within all of this on that note uh so spoilers for the boys, but we do see news coverage that Homeland... So, like, events of Gen V take place contemporaneous mm, with yeah. the end of the boys, right? Mm-hmm. So it's take, it looks like these events are happening after the events of the last season of the boys. Yeah. So uh, we do see that Homelander might be on trial for killing this guy that he killed at the end of last season of uh, of the boys, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think I read um, somewhere that's supposed to take place contemporaneously with season four. Um, I see. I, we'll see. We'll see but if that it, but, tends up uh, being the case, but I'd be curious. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. So season four will happen at the same time. Is, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. We'll yeah. see if that actually plays out. But some somewhere I read that I believe. Yeah. So it was nice to see uh, Elizabeth Shue back in the show. I was like, did they did they bring Elizabeth Shue back just for this, or did they use like footage that they'd already shot from the boys for this? I don't remember. You know. Yeah. Um, that would be interesting. But too. That, yeah, that's wild because she hasn't been involved in the show in years. So yeah, get get that paycheck. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I think that is it. I think that's it. So um, any closing thoughts on uh, Gen V? And then we'll get to our favorite quotes from the episode. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I think this is a really strong start. And, and the more we've talked about it on this episode, the more I've like come to appreciate it even more than when I watched it last night, sort of scribbling down notes um, as for this episode. Um, I think I think it captures the boys' political commentary and strong characterization. And yet it also sort of meshes that with a more relatable teen drama feel that that actually I think is is uh, more nuanced and compelling than most like teen dramas that we get today so i think it's doing all of those things really well i think my only it's not even like i think a negative it's just one of those uh general concerns as the show goes forward is is that central mystery of the woods going to be a compelling enough mystery to sustain the show or differentiate it enough from from the boys or is it going to feel like a little bit of like a lukewarm version of what the boys already did i think that's my only concern and I, i could see it being really great and i could see it sort of falling flat um, so it's hard to say right now, but that's my only sort of like thought and in, in a maybe negative sense on this show so far. I mean, what I really like about the show is I, I am invested in many things other than mm-hmm. that central mystery. Right. Yep. Um, whereas that was a little bit harder to do with the boys. Like there are some characters in the boys that I was like, I really cared about, but many of them I didn't, I, I I'm sorry to say, but like, <laughs> I didn't really care if, if Jack Quaid and Starlight really like made it like that's, that's me personally. But like, you know, whereas like, I really care if Marie survives 
her time at at God U. Like that, I really do care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I actually am enjoying this show more than wow. the average season of The Boys. Personally, yeah. Um, there is no like Homelander is an incredible character, and I will continue to like watch the show for you know The Boys for Homelander and what happens with that character. Um, but. So far, I'm really into Gen V, and uh, yes, some of the allegory is very clunky and on the nose, <laughs> but uh, the the characters are characters I really care about, and that's really hard to do. Um, so, big fan so far, and I am looking forward to seeing where the show goes. I will tell you, um, this is a this is a decoding TV exclusive, Jesse. Ooh. Okay, so I sent out a thread today uh, at threads.net slash at Dave Chensky. <laughs> And I talked about how uh, I really liked um, Gen V. Mm-hmm. And I got a message from someone who worked on Gen V. Oh, dang. Uh, and I'm not going to say who because I don't have permission to reveal any of this. But uh, they said, here's the message they sent me. So I said, hey, I, 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 I threaded out. I said, hey, really, really a fan of Gen, Gen V. And uh, I find it in some ways more engrossing than boys. And they said, Quote, it only gets crazier from here, exclamation mark. <laughs> so All right. uh, that, that's a Decoding TV exclusive, right? Like, I know <laughs> I know, not many people would have guessed. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I thought it would have probably gotten tamer from this Yeah, point you thought it was going to yeah. de-escalate. Yeah, as, you know, as most stories do as, as they head towards stories, their climax. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> indeed, Let's indeed. bring down the stakes as we go. Yeah. As you go on. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm dropping these incredible revelations here. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I hope they're appreciated for what they are. Okay. Um, so let's wrap up. Jesse Earl, uh, this was such a blast. I'm so glad we did this. Um, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Yeah, uh, I am on uh, YouTube mainly as Jesse Gender. That's where I do my video essay type of things that I sort of alluded to earlier. So you can subscribe there. I have a secondary channel called Jesse Gender After Dark where I do sort of reviews. So if you liked my review here on Decoding TV, I also do reviews of things like uh, I'm reviewing Star Trek Lower Decks, Ahsoka as well. I'll be reviewing Loki as well. So if you want my thoughts, I do that all over there. Um I also am on Nebula, uh, which I know some of the the creators that you've also had on this show uh, have been on as well. And I I bring them up just because I am currently working on a short film um, that is going to be a Nebula original that they're funding and going to be distributing. uh, That is a science fiction uh, kind of cyberpunk film that I sort of describe as the Matrix Severance. That's going to be starring some cool people like uh, John Delancey from Star Trek is going to be. I it's saw that. Call from cool. The guy who plays Q in, yeah. in Star Trek is going to be in Jesse's short film. So that's yeah. very exciting. Yeah. yeah. So very excited about all of that. So if you subscribe to Nebula, that does support support that film and all that. And, and hopefully it'll be a fun film when it when it comes out. And we're filming later this month. So, yeah, that's pretty much everything. And then I'm on all the social medias. Uh, the artist formerly known as Twitter, Threads, uh, Instagram, all those things. All right, and find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Again, a reminder, next week on this podcast, we're going to be covering uh, Ahsoka Season 1, Loki Season 2, The Continental, wrapping up Season 1. So a lot more to look forward to. All right. Jesse Earl, favorite quote from the episode. <laughs> I have to say, even though it is it is offensive, oh, a bi-gender Asian with pronoun fuckery? Try selling that to Dallas or Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, indeed. Uh, always 
be selling is kind of what the uh, uh, the people at Gen V uh, or God U want you to be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, I loved everything that that God you social media director said. Like that whole <laughs> yeah, character was yeah. incredible. Like y- yes, he was just, queen. Yeah. <laughs> every, every word that that character said was amazing. Uh, and he did say like when uh, Marie was trying to deny that she had anything to do with golden boys, uh, you know, defense. Uh, she, he said modesty. Yeah. People love modesty. Yeah. No, go out and be the best in the fucking world at modesty. Um, <laughs> One of his ama- many amazing lines. So it felt like uh, something right out of secession. Uh, indeed. Quote. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay. Uh, this has been an absolute blast. She is Jesse Earl. I am David Chen. You're listening to, Dec- to Decoding TV. Uh, until next week, we'll see you later. Goodbye. <laughs>